Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. This is where Jesus talks about church discipline, dealing with a sinning brother. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Two or three, that's our message for today. I'll bet if you had walked into Matthew's office, there wouldn't have been an item out of place. His working papers would be perfectly placed and itemized on the top of his desk. Every book would be shelved just where it was supposed to be. His pictures and diplomas will be hung on the wall, and all of them will be perfectly level. You will not want to find one speck of dust. Matthew will have everything perfect, just right. Matthew, of course, is the human author of the first gospel, and he is an itemizer. He loves to take subjects and put them in their proper place. He doesn't tell the story of Jesus the way he does just because he thinks it happened exactly that way. He has a reason to tell it as we find it because it serves his purpose in doing so. And Matthew's purpose is order. He wants order. He wants perfect order. Matthew wants everything to be perfect, and that includes his church. So he records Jesus giving instructions to the disciples. When this happens, do this. When that occurs, do that. There's an answer for everything, a solution for every problem. And most biblical interpreters think this part of Matthew's gospel has less to do with the disciples of Jesus than it does with Matthew's church. Conflicts have arisen among some of the members of Matthew's congregation, and he just can't stand it. He wants everything to be perfect and in order, and conflict is a messy business. I can imagine him lying awake at night thinking about how to deal with a problem he's encountering among the fellowship. He remembers what Jesus had said, and the Holy Spirit inspires him to provide this teaching from Jesus as a way of giving a clear-cut message to his fellow believers. When people get into it with one another, there's a way to deal with it. Matthew is convinced of that. And the sooner he addresses the situation, the better. Honestly, the instructions are really quite simple and straightforward. 
If one of your brothers or sisters in Christ sins against you, you are to go and in privacy point out what has happened and how it has made you feel. If you get less than a redemptive response, you're to ask a couple of fellow members to serve as witnesses and go back with you to visit with that offending party. And if you still get nowhere with the person who has wronged you, as a last resort, you tell the entire church about it. If the one who has offended you will not listen to the church, send, send them packing. They are no longer wanted until they repent of their ways. Now, how many people in our church today have actually practiced that type of church discipline? Probably not too many. But we do love that last verse, don't we? The one where Jesus says that when two or three are gathered in his name, he would be there among us. We quote that all the time, don't we? The only reason we claim that promise, however, is that we take it out of context. In context, it has to do with church fights, with disagreements, with conflicts, not with prayer or worship. It could be argued that Jesus is the last person on earth to give advice about how to deal with such difficulties. He wasn't exactly an effective conflict manager, now was he? After all, he ended up on a cross. And if you look at the biblical record close enough, you will find that he is the one who really brought the confrontation to a head with the religious authorities in Jerusalem. He could have stayed out of town. He could have laid low for a while. He could have let things simmer down. But no. He had to march full bore right into the heart of the battle. It was almost as if he was determined to die a martyr's death. But Jesus' method of conflict resolution starts to make a bit more sense when you consider the spirit of what he says and not just the one, two, three of it. In other words, instead of outlining it, we need to jump into it and move around in it. Try on this, try on that, get a feel for what Jesus is talking about. And in doing so, we might just find something we can use when it comes to dealing with people with whom we're having problems. For one thing, Jesus puts the burden on the victim, on the person who has been sinned against. Isn't that just like Jesus? He always seems to have this way of turning things around from the way we think they ought to be. The first shall be last, the last first. That sort of thing. That's what he's doing here. And if it fits the context of this passage, you see this chapter in Matthew's Gospel begins with the disciples coming to their master with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That should be no surprise to us. That's all the disciples were ever concerned about. They had this crazy idea of what the coming kingdom was going to be like. Jesus would be the king and they would be his main henchmen. All he would have to do is snap his fingers and they would see that his orders would be carried out. Oh, the power that they would have. Everywhere they went, their conversations amongst themselves were about the kingdom. Who's going to be greatest? Really, what they are asking is, who of us is going to be greatest? And Jesus says, gather around, boys. And I'll let you in on a secret. They come in close to hear what he has to say. And as they do, he takes a toddler, places the child in the center of their little group. And then he says, 
I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Did they understand him correctly? Not only will they not have the prime places of power, they won't even get in unless they become like children. What does that mean? Then Jesus talks about attitudes that keep us from serving him on his terms. Finally, he gets around to these instructions about how to deal with someone who has wronged them. And the first thing they are to do is take the initiative. Even though they are the ones who have been offended, they've been sinned against, they are to go to the offender and try to work things out. You've already been made vulnerable by the very fact that someone has offended you. Now Jesus says you are to really stick your neck out and risk becoming even more vulnerable. You are to go hat in hand to the person who has wronged you and give that person the opportunity to set things right. That's just like Jesus, isn't it? I'll tell you something else that's just like Jesus. He isn't interested in who's right or wrong. That carries no weight with him at all. The only thing Jesus carries about is getting the relationship made right again. As you try to think of particular instances in which arguments have come along, when people have offended one another in church, when you've been hurt or you've hurt others, you probably can't think of any major episodes, at least not any that mattered for eternity's sake. What I'm saying is that not one of them mattered enough to hang on to. Not really. Not one. When the dust of conflict is settled and all is said and done, especially all the hateful, hurtful things that have been said and done, not a bit of it, not the littlest bit of it at all is worth talking about or remembering. Some people have an amazing ability to remember the slightest offense done to them. The less than redemptive mark, remark, the tiniest snub. They let it fester in their souls until it just gnaws away at their hearts and little is left but resentment and anger. But in the end, especially as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, the only thing that matters is not what's been said or who got the short end of the stick. The only thing of consequence is relationship. And we really, are we really so willing to give up our relationship with others? Relationships that have come about and been forged by our desire to follow Jesus? Nowhere in the New Testament Gospels will you find Jesus saying that the first order of things is always to be right. But he does have a great deal to say about forgiveness, about relationships, about reconciliation, about service and humility and vulnerability. He makes it sound like family, doesn't he? You know, it's not easy being family. I've got two brothers And I know my mother and grandmother can remember things that happened years ago. Not necessarily correctly, uh, of course, but they, uh, they don't recall some that occurred or they said a, a few days ago. That's hard to deal with. Some of you know what I mean. And we've got in-laws who have some different views on life. I'm sure many of you know what I mean as well. It's family. 
life would be a whole lot simpler if we didn't have family to aggravate us, right? Being family is not easy, but it's where Jesus chooses to be when it comes to being with us. Where two or three are gathered in my name, he says, I am there among them. That's family. It is when we come, we are together that arguments can break out and, and disagreements come to the surface. It is when we are together that hurts occur and apologies sometimes need to be spoken. It is when we are together that controversy can split people apart. But it is when we are together that God chooses to be with us, breathing his spirit upon us and in us, calling us to be the family of God. So when it comes right down to it, where do you prefer to be? With God and his family or on your own to be left to the wiles of the devil? Let us pray. Father, you've called us to be family. That means from time to time we're going to hurt one another. Arguments are going to break out and we won't exactly be getting along. But help us to see the bigger picture. That relationship is more important than anything else. To that end, find us faithful to you and to your purposes. In doing so, we will be faithful to each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.